Hey friends, this is the commitment. Summer edition. Summer edition. Rude, this is five straight weeks we're putting an episode together. Yeah, and also this is the most summer it's been. It is baking here in New York City. Baking is right. The fan on my computer is so loud right now, I think everyone's just going to have to deal with it if we can't remove it. Your computer needs a break, mate. You're going to give it a break. Mate, big week, I would say. It's not necessarily doom and gloom, but something important has come out, and I think people need to understand it. Is it Kanye's album? He's... What is the deal with that? What is the I don't deal? know, like, but is, I, think, I think the UN trumped him. Yeah. So the IPCC released their climate report, which I know we hear about climate stuff in the news all the time. So we're going to spotlight this just because we want to explain to folks why this one is particularly noteworthy and why it actually would be useful to understand why this one's important and what this report actually means. Aside from that, Apple's trying to stop child pornography on their phones and they're getting criticized for it. Yeah, go figure. That's one way to put it. And then we're, we're also talking uh, Lionel Messi making moves. Yeah, making moves. Going to Paris. All right. All right. So I've not read anything about this UN report and I deliberately didn't because I wanted you to educate me. So, so hit me. Tell me what's going on. Right. So How fucked are we? Well, well, it's less about how fucked we are because we already know. Uh, it's more about having an understanding of, of, of why we should pay attention to this one and who is the IPCC and why this is going to be important come November during the next round of climate talks between government leaders in Glasgow. So the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is a United Nations body that assesses the science around climate change, right? So they formed in 1988, since 1990, they've released around seven reports. I think at this point, the reports come once every seven years. To give you an idea of how much effort goes into these reports, this most recent one that came out is the work of over 200 scientists overseen by 195 governments, along with full reviews of over 14,000 scientific papers. Are these the guys, these are like the guys that are the experts on climate change? Is that it, basically? Yeah, they've essentially gone back over the last, let's say, six or seven years worth of scientific research, peer-reviewed scientific papers, and assessed them and created a report. So this report itself isn't from scientists that did the research themselves. It's their report on all of the scientific evidence and papers that have come out over the last seven years. So it's, ba- it's basically the cliff notes on everything to do with climate change in the last seven years, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you can ignore every odd report that comes out every three or four months. We're fucked because of this. We're fucked because of, because of that. This is the one that actually looks at it holistically and pulls scientific facts and recommendations from here. And what's pretty interesting about it is that every single word that's used in these reports, and this, this the full report is over 4,000 pages, is vetted and agreed to by 195 governments. So this Is HBO turning this into a movie? <laughs> yeah, right. This is six six seasons. Six seasons. Benioff and Weiss are going to be doing the next, <laughs> the version of this. That's the HBO show. It's it's like West Wing two point right? So so tell me what's what's the what are the headlines? Okay, so before we jump into that, one extra bit of context as to why this is important. The last time this body released the report was in twenty fourteen, and that influenced the Paris Climate Agreement that happened in twenty fifteen, right? In 2018, they did do a special report specifically around the state of the planet warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. 
And that report ended up triggering the youth-led climate movement and what made Greta Thunberg famous, right? So, so the last couple of reports these guys have released are a big deal. Before I jump into that, yes, we haven't necessarily learned anything shockingly new. There's no surprises. Even Greta Thunberg herself was like, the report contains no real surprises that confirms what we already know from thousands of studies and reports. Does this lend almost credence and not to say that the other reports weren't valid but this is sort of the well we all looked at it and and all the scientists have looked at everything and this is this is the real deal sort of thing yeah so what what's new and noteworthy about this report is that effectively their means of tracking the climate science of predicting it of of figuring out what's fact and and what's probability has gotten better so now they have climate models they're able to do assessments and have modeling on like specific regions across across the world. Like it's it's in a lot more detail, which is interesting. And also actually, you actually asked this a few weeks ago when we briefly talked about all the wild weather that was happening around the world. Scientists can now actually link specific weather events to human-made climate change. So the heat wave that was on the west coast of North America in June, just like a couple of months ago, that had detectable evidence of human responsibility. So World Weather Attribution, which is an international research group, just a few days after that heat wave broke out, they could conclude that these extraordinary temperatures would be virtually impossible without climate change. Now, it's common in the news for people to be like, oh, climate change caused this flood and that flood. But now, actually, for the first time in years, we have the hard data where it's actually, where we can link it. It's not just people's conjecture saying, yeah, it's probably it. We can actually link it. One statement that actually came out of the, the report, which I read, well, I didn't read the 4,000 pages, I read the 40-page summary uh, for policymakers, is that human-induced climate change is already affecting many weather and climate extremes in every region across, across the globe. Evidence of observed changes in extremes such as heat waves, heavy precipitation, droughts, tropical cyclones, and their attribution to human influence has strengthened since the 5th uh, assessment report which came out seven years ago so basically the science is getting stronger they're able to validate these links more and more and the one big one is i know in human speak we've known that climate change has certainly been influenced by humans for a long time now and we've seen the reports and blah 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 but the scientific community is traditionally very conservative so they are very careful with the words they use i'll remind you how i said that Every word in this report was vetted by every scientist and by every government agency for approval before it got sent out. Now they're actually saying, this is another quote, it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Whereas in 2013, 14, when the previous report came out, the wording was, it is extremely likely that human influence, blah, 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 blah. So now they're moving from extremely likely to unequivocal because their data is getting even better and stronger. Wow. So, so yeah. what is that? Because I also saw an article, because when this came out, there were a lot of governments that came out and said, look, we need to do something now. And there was an article that I saw the headline of, which said that we had basically point crossed the point of no return, which I guess is just the article being uh, an article and needing to have a catchy headline. But what was was there something in this report that was different that basically said, guys, we've crossed a threshold now? Not necessarily. It's not actually all doom and gloom. Some of the facts remain around the fact that we're at around 1.1 degrees above the 1900s baseline, right, pre-industrial area, in terms of 1.1 degrees Celsius 
above what we should be or what we used to be. The goal of the Paris Climate Accord was to keep emissions down to about 1.5, and we're definitely on track to go over that. But it's something that if we did, and to quote, if we did rapid, steep, and sustained greenhouse gas emission cuts down to net zero and eventually net negative values, we can avoid exceeding 1.5 or 2 degrees warming over the long term. That's from the report, right? Part of the issue there is that based off the current emissions cuts and what's been planned by governments and agreed to, we're on track to get about 3 degrees Celsius above, which is too far, right? The, the idea around 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees is that that's already what's baked in and we are definitely seeing impacts already. But once we start going above 2 degrees, things get much worse. That's not to say that if we go 2.5 degrees above, we should all just go out in the woods and drink the Kool-Aid and kill ourselves. It just means the effects are going to get worse and worse and worse. So so it doesn't say, so it's not, if I read this report, it's not saying that we are basically going to hit a, go hit the 1.5 or is it saying that we are basically at a point now where we will go 1.5 over? Yeah, we are definitely going to go 1.5 over and it's going to ha- happen somewhere in the decade of 2030 to 2040. That's different, right? Like that's something yeah. that everyone's like, holy, because I think everyone thought that would happen in 50 years, not 10 or No, 20. yeah. So it, it is potentially going to happen sooner than they thought. That was part of the point of the Paris Agreement six or seven years ago, whatever it was, was to limit the temperature raised to 1.5. So we're going to go over that. But if we do these rapid and sustained emissions cuts, we could briefly go over it because the whole point around these figures is that they're an average over a period of time, right? So we can pop over 1.5 for a little bit, but as long as we're cutting emissions fast and hard, we can actually come back under 1.5. But even if we end up around two, which will still require a lot of emissions, we're in a better state compared to how bad it could really be if we go two and a half, three, four degrees over. What's interesting as well is this report isn't just about the science of what has happened, there actually is some projections and some modeling in here, which has gotten better. And it shows lots of different scenarios of depending on how much emissions we can cut, what the warming might look like. Okay. So was that the main headline? Like what were the other headlines? That's definitely the main one is where we are at already 1.1 above. The big message is essentially around rapid, steep and sustained greenhouse gas emission cuts, getting to net zero and eventually net negative values. Net negative meaning us pulling carbon out of the air. How hopeful are you of that, given that usually these things take a while? Like if this, if the time horizon is in 15 years, we're going to hit 10 to, uh, 1.5 degrees, like don't we need to be doing stuff almost like now, which won't usually happen with governments? It's not like, it's not like things are going to – like we're, it's a pretty big ship to turn around. I'm hopeful for many reasons. I'm hopeful because – there's a lot of big governments saying the right things. We have a, an, an American government in power that wants to do something. We have a conservative English government in power that says they want to do stuff, which is always great when the right side of the aisle is into it because that's usually where climate denial comes from. Guess which government isn't? Uh, I already looked at what the Australians said about it. Jack shit, basically. Like yeah. The, the do-nothing the do Morrison government is saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to get there with technologies preferably sooner than later up your ass. Australia is honestly embarrassing at this point. But not to get into Australia bashing as much as Morrison and the Nationals deserve a bashing on this stuff, we've got a lot of big leaders who are doing stuff. So China, for as much 
bad presses they're getting for like human rights abuses and all the bad shit they're doing, they're actually the global leader at this point in the transition towards clean energy, even though they're also one of the biggest polluters trying to... Aren't China they also... Invest. But hang on, didn't you tell me China's building a coal plant every day? They are, but they're also bringing down the cost of clean energy. They're also bringing on so much clean energy, so much new clean power online every day. Their current goal, which isn't amazing, but it's better than Australia's goal, if I'm being honest, since Australia has no goals, is that they want to reach an emissions peak by 2030 and be net zero by 2060, whereas most other developed nations, with the exception of Australia, who are doing nothing, are aiming for 2050. Now, for China, who is still technically a developing nation, for them to reach peak emissions by 2030 would actually be early in the history of peak emissions for a developing nation. So to give them a bit of credit, their scale is drawing a lot of mm. price reductions in clean energy. But the last thing I'll say on that is just that just it's sort of music to my ears. I don't know much about the conservative government of Boris Johnson in the UK, whether he's actually doing things. I, I know they are, but they're the ones who are leading the next climate negotiations with world leaders in Glasgow in November this year. And no doubt this report is going to have a big part there to help give policymakers. They literally made their 40-page summary. They called it a policymakers summary. Give them the arsenal to move faster on weaning off of coal. Boris Johnson himself said, it's time to consign coal to history and shift to clean energy sources. Now, it's easy to say these things. It's all about action, not about words. But I'm, I'm being hopeful the silver lining with Australia's do-nothing government is that we're pretty small fry. What we need is the, the UK, the EU, the US and the China to do their bit and hopefully just not be too embarrassed by how backwards uh, the Australian Australia is the only country in the world that doesn't have emissions targets. It's, it's outrageous. I, I, I did but, read that off the back of this report, every other country sort of came back and had a pretty emphatic response to the report To you know, uh, in terms of we need to do something. And the Australian government had a defensive response to it, which yeah. was, you know, don't worry, we are. Stop, t- stop uh, telling us what to do. We're not going to shut down coal plants. Yeah, the deputy leader was like, cool, cool, but how much is it going to cost? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, which doesn't surprise me, but at least that's good. I haven't read the report, but it sounds like some doom, but not all doom and gloom in there, and they've got a path forward. Um, the good thing is it's interesting because normally when a report like this comes out, I expect a lot of governments to kind of just say, like, oh, cool, thanks, but we've heard this all before. It seemed like the response for this one has been very – and it could just be – because so much stuff is happening around the world now. And so it's very easy for people to see a report comes out. And then in the next news uh, story that Greece is on fire and it all kind of pieces together a bit. Yeah, exactly. The last two things to remember is that what's also promising about this is the last vestige of climate deniers hang on to things like, ooh, but there's also naturally occurring warming, like from volcanoes in the sun. This is also a report that has said that's bullshit. Volcanoes in the sun, negligible impact to the environment, right? So it's, it's this report's also helping taking away the things that climate deniers are trying to hang their hats on is in terms of why we're not 100% sure. It's mm. unequivocal and it's human cause. So I think that's only going to be a good thing to help governments push things across. The other quick note, and we should wrap up here because we've been talking about it long enough. I'm actually super stoked about this report. I think it's things like these that are really important. I just want people to understand why they're important. You love a good climate report, though. I love a good climate report. 
here's the thing before you say, oh, but you said there's one every seven years and you see two more over the next six months. This is part one of three parts. So this part of the report talked about the science behind climate, whereas part two and part three, which will come out early next year. Are those dropping on Spotify? <laughs> and Apple Music. They're just going on all platforms, all streaming platforms. Parts two and three are going to talk about specific impacts and also how to mitigate. So you'll see some things in the news over the next six months of, of other UN reports coming out. That's all part of this larger thing. But this is the once every seven years cycle, and it's why it's a big deal. And it's why we spent way more than five minutes talking about it on this episode. So thank you, everyone, who's still listening at this point. 4,000 pages probably warrants a few more minutes. Yeah, a lot of people worked yeah, Thanks, man. That's, I've not, yeah. I, I didn't read anything about it because I wanted to be educated by you, and I was. Thank you. Should we talk a little bit about Apple? Yeah, a couple of little light things. A little bit of child well, I don't know if a this little is... bit of Leonardo Messi. Yeah, so the child ab- sexual abuse thing, probably not that light. But Apple announced last week they're going to make three major changes, and it's changes that they're doing to fight child sexual abuse. Now, the changes they're making, one of them is not that controversial, and it's, and it's basically they're making a change in their search when you use Apple search. And if you search anything to do with child sex abuse, it redirects you to either a source that you can report if you've seen child sex abuse, or you can get advice on um, how to get help. Then the two other ones are where people have been up in arms. The two other changes they've made is one is to iMessage, which will allow parents to have an option to put a control on their kid's phone that when they receive text messages or send messages with what is essentially deemed child sexual imagery, it flags to the parents. And that's, you know, like a 15-year-old sends a naked picture to you know another 15-year-old, it'll still flag that to the parents. And the parents have the option of knowing that their kids are sending those messages. And this, the third one, which is the big one, is that Apple, as Apple are now going to do what they're calling as um, image scanning in iCloud. So if you have pictures in iCloud, Apple will scan them and they'll scan them against the child sexual abuse materials uh, list, which is an actual list called CSAM list. And it's a list that's been maintained by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, known as NICMEC, right? That's a national center and they have a whole list of pictures and images that are um, what are deemed to be child sexual abuse material. So what Apple's going to do is from now on, they're going to scan pictures that you and I have in iCloud and everyone's against this list. And if there's a match, and if there's a match more than a few times, so if there's a match, you get what's known as a, a voucher against that image. And if they match a few times uh, on different images, then Apple has the will, will flag that to their moderators, which are Apple moderators, who at the point will be able to look at the picture and deem if it needs to be escalated and sent to the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The way Apple are actually going to look at these pictures, though, just to be clear, the actual technology behind it is what they do is, so you, let's say you have a picture of Adam Tineski on your iCloud, right? Apple take components of that picture and they use an algorithm that Microsoft created called photo DNA. And it basically takes that picture and turns it into a hash string. So just a text string of just random numbers and whatever. And that represents key characteristics of your picture. It doesn't represent you totally. So they can't use that hash to recreate your image, but it's key characteristics of your image. Now they do the same thing for the NICMEC or the, the, the National Center of Exploit- Ex- Missing and Exploited Children's 
Rolodex of pictures. And what they do is they match on those two variables. So it doesn't. Why is, why is everyone pissed off? Or well, not everyone. But so why technically, some Apple's not seeing your picture. The reason why people are why people are up in arms is what this. This is the first time that Apple is, has essentially created an ability to look at things that are on your phone. Now they say it's actually in the iCloud, but it's it's natively connected to your phone, and this then opens up. And now they're doing it for the reason of stopping child sex abuse material, which is the right reason, correct reason. But a lot of people are now saying, well, hang on, Apple, you've always said that you're the bastion of data privacy and that you'll never open up our iPhones or iPads to the government. But with this, this opens the door to in the future, if the government says, hey, I want you to scan Adam Tineski's iCloud for for any anti-Macedonian pictures, What's to stop a government putting pressure on Apple to say, can you do that now? Because you do it for these other things. And now, because of what they've done for this particular feature, it essentially allows them to be able to have the rails and the infrastructure to do it. Now, Apple have come back and said, we're never going to do that and that everything's still encrypted. But this is why everyone's getting up in arms because they're opening the door. Obviously, we're all anti-child pornography. And if Apple's going to try and do something to help stem that, great. It is. It does seem like a bit of a slippery slope. I don't know. I'm inclined to give Apple some leeway. They've built their whole business model off privacy and all that good stuff. And if they think that child pornography is the thing that they need to break ranks on in terms of checking things, then they think it's a problem and they think it's something they want to act on. And they're a private company. If they want to do it, they should do it. The public opinion has been sort of split because there are a lot of people who are saying this is a data privacy issue, but then there's also a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, the plan seems to work and it's, it's as long as they, they abide by what they're saying, then we should be okay. While I'm very pro data privacy, if you're going to put your stuff on somebody else's cloud on somebody else's server, you're asking someone else to take care of your stuff. And I'm sorry, you don't get it both ways. You don't get, hey, I want to put it over here and you don't get to touch it. Sometimes things are going to happen. If you want to keep things private, don't put them on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I, I agree with you. Tell me about Lionel Messi. I called him Leonardo Messi. A Leonardo, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio Messi. <laughs> so Leo Messi, probably arguably, the, or definitely the greatest player currently and arguably one of the greatest players of all time, uh, soccer players, uh, has always played for Barcelona ever since he was Excuse a fetus. Football. 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 So, well, I'm catering to our, um, our Idaho and and uh, Iowa Ohio. listeners, Ohio. So he's always been a one-man club, always said he's a one-man club, always played for Barcelona. And last week, out of nowhere, Barcelona let him go. This, by the way, in context would be, if you for the American listeners, is if LeBron James, peak LeBron James, or LeBron James now was just told to leave uh, the club he's at, or the, the basketball team he's at. That's what it's like. Turns out it came down to basically Barcelona couldn't afford him. And now this might sound crazy given how massive that team is, but in a nutshell, the league that Barcelona is in, La Liga, has a rule that says the wages you pay play all of your players can't exceed 70% of your income. Barcelona, if they were going to pay Messi, and keep in mind, they cut his contract by 50% and Messi took the cut, in order for them, even with a 50% cut, they would have been 110% over. Uh, and so it, the crazy is thing just here is they're not making money like they used to or mess is just expensive. No, no, no. It's a combination of really, po- basically long story short, really poor management from Barcelona. They've had 
years of gross overspending and had bought players with massive wage bills. Add to that a pandemic that decimated a lot of what I think something like they lost about 200 million. Oh, no, sorry, less than that, actually. But they lost several, several millions um, thanks to the pandemic. They are currently about a billion and a bit in change in debt. And what's crazy is uh, apparently it was all wrapped up and they were going to sign Messi until and, and the reason it was wrapped up was even though they had uh, still the debt, the La Liga president, which is the league, was going to sell 10% of the La Liga to a hedge fund called CVC Capital Partners, which would have distributed that sale to the other clubs and Barcelona would have reaped a lot of that and used that money to be able to pay for Messi essentially and bring all the numbers down and bring essentially that that percentage down. And then just when they were going to make that sale, Barcelona's president basically said, I don't want to sell to these people. And the reason was because long-term, the CVC capital partners, which would take 10% of the league, would then take money out of these or distribution and broadcasting out of these clubs. So they said no. And because they, that sale didn't go ahead, Barcelona essentially didn't have the money to pay for Messi unless they offloaded all these players that they had bought. And at the and time- and then they just say, look, we're not going to offload all of our players just to keep one guy. So, you know, probably the, the most celebrated player at Barcelona, probably, and, you know, like I said, the greatest player currently, basically just walk out, got evicted from his own club. So anyway, he landed on his feet. He's at PSG now, which is a French club owned by uh, the Qatari billionaires. It just shows you, mate, you know, I'm, you know all I'm hearing from you? I Like, I love sports. But I'm hearing Qatari billionaires. I'm hearing private hedge fund. I'm hearing money this, money that. It actually sort of makes me feel vindicated in that over the last few years, I've started to care less and less about sport. I, I, will, I will watch it to, in just, to just enjoy watching the game in the moment. But I've been less invested in teams and players because it's all money. Everyone's going to get their heart broken. It's not about it's not about pride. It's not about loyalty. It's always about money. So your favorite player is going to leave. Why, why a lot of people are a little bit annoyed is Messi was always touted as this guy that put loyalty above everything else. He was the one club man. Get fucked. No one on the planet is going to turn down $40 million a year from someone else because the guy that you're, the, because the team you're loyal to can only give you $20 million. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking $40 million, $50 million Without fucking blinking. And he's also the guy that's rinsed Barcelona for the last few years with huge yeah. salary amounts. So Bill, at the end of the day, football athlete, come on. In oh, the words no. of, um, I forgot his name, but money, money rules everything around me. You mean cash rules everything around me? Oh, is that what it is? There you go. I failed on the, uh, I failed on the, the reference. All that Wu-Tang Clan fans are going to be so upset at you. All right, quick summer loving. You know what I love about summer rooms? What's up? Where at four o'clock on a Tuesday you might just be like, I'm going to crack a beer because it's summer, because it's sunny out and I don't want to work anymore. You don't get that in winter. You don't get that four o'clock beer. You also don't get that in pandemic, do you? Like now we're all working from home. You can do that. You can't really crack a beer in the office. Yeah, it's true. That's yeah, true. Well, you know, we used to pop down to the pub. Maybe that was a secret. Maybe I shouldn't uh, say that out loud when we used to go to the pub when we were uh, in the office. But I don't know what you I was, I was. I was diligently at my desk. I'm going to crack a beer open now, mate. Sounds good, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Have a good one.